0: Hello, welcome to Just Shooter, the podcast about filmmaking, storytelling,
1: and directing. I'm Matt Enlo. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we're talking to Yulene Kwong, a director and filmmaker that has a really interesting and somewhat pertinent to this podcast story of how she got her start filmmaking, and she also made a show for a new form that just won a streamy called I Ship It, which you guys should definitely check out, and we will talk a lot about And she's a really young filmmaker and kind of started doing this professionally somewhat recently and has really kind of skyrocketed is working a lot and has a really cool perspective on how to be a director.
0: Yeah, I think it's especially interesting if you're the sort of person that has niche interests or kind of is interested in unique or offbeat things and how you can turn that interest into a superpower. But before we talk to Euline. Matt, can you give me the Cliff's Note
1: edition of what you've been working on lately?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, things tend to get a little bit busier towards the end of the year, which is nice. So I've been running around a lot, but one thing that I've been really pleased has been going well is uh, I'm working on a a new project with a buddy of mine who wrote a screenplay that I really liked and wanted to to potentially develop into shooting. And so I've been working with him pretty regularly on a polish where we kind of sit side by side and kind of co-write together. He wrote, you know, a handful of drafts beforehand. So, it's you know, it's really just kind of sweetening things up, but it's been really great because it's fun to have another person to be accountable to, you know, so like scheduling things and like really figuring out when exactly I'm available to work on this project and then holding to it because he has to come over to my place or I have to go over to his has really meant that we've been, very consistent and very fast which has been really fun and also it's a real gift to just rewrite something rather than start from scratch you know then you're just making things better and poking holes in things so it's been a fun unique experience for me that i recommend you know i think it's worth um thinking through it is a little tricky i always am worried about writing partnerships which is this isn't a proper partnership he wrote the script and i'm just doing a polish so it's more of a director writer relationship but You know, I tend to be a little skeptical of those relationships because effectively it's a marriage, you know, and so Mm -hmm. your tastes and senses of humor need to align. Everything has to align. And also, you know, if that thing goes and becomes, you know, your calling card or significant in your career and then you two decide to part your separate ways. In a lot of ways you're starting over from scratch again, you know, or at least that's been my experience and watching other people kind of have that experience. So yeah, so it's a new weird thing for me, but it's been super fun. And does he like your notes and stuff and your rewrites? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's so much easier to rewrite. So that's been great. It's just like you're pitching fun, new ideas. But then also I think the nice thing is that as a director and as a person who's logged, you know, a significant amount of time executing, Really mostly what I'm doing beyond pitching and tightening is um, rephrasing and reworking ideas that are already there on the page but maybe aren't as visual as they could be or figuring out things that maybe I know from experience an actor is going to have a hard time with or it's going to be hard to shoot or it's going to be flatter than we want basically. So it's really taking a director's eye to a screenplay that already has a ton going for it thematically and from a character and plot perspective so we didn't realize how good of a match it was going to be when we first started so it's been super fun yeah i find that the
1: director's viewpoint on a script is always it's just like a few degrees different than a writer's viewpoint and it can make all the difference in terms of the final product
0: yeah you still have to have those fundamentals there but if you can add on top of that it's a real gift yeah uh oren what have you been working on lately
1: well i just directed my first thing for Funnier die last week it was a branded spot for call of duty infinite warfare coming out november 4th mm. and it was really fun actually and it, it came out good but what i thought was interesting is you know i do a lot of branded work and there's always like this crazy schedule and you get the script and we're going to shoot like next thursday and you know, the client has 8 million notes, and they're always weird. And then you shoot it, you know, and you edit it, and it comes out like, okay. And you're always like, well, the script wasn't very good. And so, in this case, I think what what we ended up with is pretty good. And I think the client is happy with it. I think I can blame the script a, a little bit for the parts that aren't working. But what's unique about this situation is that I wrote the script. <laughs> and so... You know, I, I usually don't write these things, or like, I'll do a pass or a polish right. or whatever. I'll add plus it, you know, like we always say. But, you know, it, it's just interesting that even if you have full control over the right. script and the product, like there is something about advertising and like shooting mm-hmm. for clients that just complicates everything you do. And so I think one of the lessons i'm I'm relearning every time I do one of these things is just like, If the idea can just be super, super Mm -hmm. simple and just like at its core, like good and relatable or funny, then you can have an end product. But as soon as like the details start like unfolding and unraveling, and especially if the idea is just like mildly interesting Mm -hmm. to start with, your end product, it's just a really tough challenge to make it great, even if you have full control because you're just. You're just trying to please so many people. So I don't know. It was really fun. I think it came out really good and funny. And there's like some good LOL moments, even though I'm more of a haha type of guy. Mm. I'm more of a ha, that's funny kind of guy. Like, how do you type that? Ha. H A, Mm -hmm. period. Or just exclamation point. Enter. I could see you write ha. I think I have seen you write ha. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, so it was fun. I'm hoping I can do more things for them. It's also, it's like nerve wracking a little bit. The first thing you do for a company, you know, all these producers are so freaking busy. They're working like 10 projects at a time. You send them a cut and you're like, can't wait to see like, you're just so nervous about whether they'll like it or not. Cause you don't know if it's right. good, right? Cause you directed it <laughs> and they don't write you back for like two days and you're like, oh no, they hated it. They're <laughs> probably replacing me. And then you're like, oh, I'm just checking in. Did you guys send the cut to the client? They're like, oh yeah, we loved it. We hope they love it. Like, yeah, oh. like, why didn't you say so? Yeah, some other just story? tell me next time. <laughs> I think as a director working in marketing or advertising or branded content, like people forget that you're also like a sensitive artist type. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're you, kind you tell of Expected them. <laughs> to be a little hardened.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's really funny.
1: So anyway, it's cool. Um, it'll probably be out by the time this podcast is out, November fourth. Right before November fourth. Okay, cool. cool. Well, let's talk to
0: Yulian. Yep. Hey Euline. Hey Matt. How you doing? Good. Welcome to our podcast. Yeah Uh, thanks for coming. Yulene you've got a killer career. I feel like you're constantly doing things. (laughs) Back at you. Oh thank you. Thank you. Look at that. So tell us just a little bit about how you broke into filmmaking.
2: You know I was doing a lot of like Writing. I I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Um, They don't have a film program there. So I was a creative writing major and I was writing all these screenplays and handing them off to other people to direct and they kept fucking it up. So I was like, I should try this. So that's when I kind of started doing it. And then I moved out to L.A. started doing YouTube videos, a couple of web series and kind of found a career from there
1: and here you are and
2: here i am sitting do you
1: think a writer has ever written something and had someone else direct it and thought that it came out right I, probably not i don't think <laughs> i've
0: ever met an editor who was like oh they got enough footage oh, so i have, that. have what? when
1: you're like shooting with like eight cameras and i mean from yeah, an editor's point that. of view it's like
0: oh god it's improv like five <laughs> cameras worth of improv <laughs> I think the worst. So, um, you said you started doing YouTube videos. What was the first YouTube video you did that kind of, you know, was impactful in some way for you?
2: So, I uploaded like a short film that I did called The Perils of Growing Up Flat Chested. And this was, I think, in 2012. And right around that time, my friend Sinead Persad and I decided to shoot a sketch she had written called Edgar Allan Poe Buys Girl Scout Cookies. And she asked me to direct it and I knew that if I was going to do that, I wanted to spend money on like production design and make it pretty. And it became this like low key thing that we were going to shoot on a weekend to like, it cost $1,500, which is a lot of money when you're getting paid like $12 an hour at the NBC page program. So, yeah.
1: Wait, this was in L.A. or New York?
2: This was in L.A.
1: Okay. And so this is the Edgar Allan Poe venue.
2: Yes. So we did a sketch called Edgar Allan Poe Buys Girl Scout Cookies. But since we were already buying all these like props and stuff for that, I was like, we should do a web series to go with it. That's like kind of a vlog about Edgar Allan Poe keeping a writing vlog while a lady ghost is like haunting his study. And then the series A Telltale Vlog was born out of that, and we started a channel called Shipwrecked Comedy, and that was kind of like the first, yeah, that, that was where it started.
1: Yes, tis I, Edgar Allan Poe, and welcome back, dear readers, dear watchers. I have brought with me a special guest, a raven. Do you have anything to plug? Yes, I do. I mean, a poem. A
0: poem. Yes, it's not very good.
1: Raven, don't, don't say such things.
0: No, but it's terrible, you're a hack. Okay.
2: (laughs) It's Lenore people, what's up? Okay, can I just, can we just talk about like how creepy this place is? I'm pretty sure there are like hearts in the floorboards like beating hearts.
1: And were you shooting your own stuff and editing your own stuff or
2: Oh no, my I had a cinematographer and he was also my editor at the time. He was also my ex-boyfriend at the time, so.
1: He was your ex at the time.
2: <laughs> yeah, he was my ex at the time. We had moved out to Los Angeles together oh man
1: (laughs) Ooh, that's pretty good (laughs) yeah do you still work with him
2: yes um we do work together he is my boyfriend now that's Um, like when you
1: get divorced and then marry someone else and then get divorced and then remarry your original person yeah
2: i'm really looking forward
1: to that it was like (laughs) that
2: zach and i he was the dp on the very first thing i had ever directed back in college and then we dated for like a year and a half we broke up for two years continued to work together through those two years which was don't recommend it <laughs> um
0: yeah that's crazy
2: yeah it was it was a weird but you hear time. about that
1: all the time like yeah. people like are always on set there's like
0: x's and it's
2: yeah it's, I mean, it's how they make it it's work it's a whole thing
0: yeah i mean i guess it makes sense to like if you if you, if you spend if, time if you spend time together and you're working together and you click creatively but it's don't the best. if you don't yeah, it's the best but like, if, you, if you don't click romantically. That can still be confusing. You it, know what yes. I mean? Yeah. Because it's still such an intimate relationship mm-hmm. that it would be very easy to get muddled.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: I, I have friends that were engaged to be married,
1: then canceled the wedding last minute, like after the invites and everything were sent out. And now they're making a movie together. And, oh, my God. And they're each like the he's remarried someone else. He has a kid. Uh-huh. It's like, But he's still with his ex.
2: Like working together? Yeah. That's so fascinating.
0: Yeah.
1: I know. And I'm always like, how?
2: How do you make it work?
0: And they, how does they his do, like, but
1: wife feel about that too, right? Well, yeah. I think, well, that that's like a separate thing, right? It's like, how do you keep your relationship while you work in this industry at all? <laughs> and she doesn't work in, she's not in the industry. But to me, there's something interesting about that drama that kind of fuels the creative work in oh, a way. yeah.
2: Well, so I was working with my ex on a series called Kissing in the Rain. So it was so bizarre because he was my DP and also my, like, relatively recent ex. And we were shooting people, like, kissing, making out endlessly in front of us for, like, three days straight and, and then, just, then not
0: just making out but like it's hype hyper it's romantic
2: hyper romantic there's like rain and there's like dialogue and we're just like wet and miserable like crammed yeah, yeah. behind the camera monitor because we we're too broke to have like a separate monitor and it was just like ah, i hate you right now
1: <laughs> <laughs> so did you have to pay him when you were making all these things
2: i I always tried to pay my crew, um, even when I was doing like the low-budget, self-funded things, because it's like one thing if you're an indie filmmaker making one big project per year to ask for a favor of your friends. I think it's another thing when you're producing content on like a YouTube schedule, where you have to kind of have something every maybe six weeks or something. There's just a limit on favors, so I started out paying everybody I think a hundred a day, and then. We started graduating to like 150 a day, and this was all when it was still like self-funded. And then once I started getting paid, I made sure like I boosted their salaries up to at least like 300 a day, which is again still not much. But I
1: and you're I think, saying like everyone like PA to DP. Are...
2: Um, uh, I'm naming more like department heads. I think. Okay. Um, I, I still paid like the gaffers, grips. PAs, I think we did have a couple unpaid PAs in the beginning, and then no, what happened was we didn't have PAs at all because I couldn't afford them, and I didn't want to ask anybody to work for free.
1: Yeah, and can I tell you the worst way to get PAs is Craigslist.
2: Oh God, no! (laughs) I probably had
1: so bad. I might be exaggerating, but I don't. I don't think I am. Then I have about a sixty percent no show rate. (laughs) Yeah. PAs I've hired off Craigslist. Were were they paid? Yeah, I mean. You know, not great. Sometimes it's like 50 bucks or 100 bucks. I mean, this is, I've not done it for a very long time, but I just kind of stopped. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, so cool. So this is interesting, though, because I guess I hadn't thought of that, but you, maybe more than any other filmmaker I know, think of YouTube in a, very distinctive way right like you're
2: it's an evolving way it's it's evolving sure
0: but like you know i think like orin and i when we first started it was like very much just like vloggers and teenagers screaming at webcams Mm -hmm. and like we were you know aiming to do things that were more cinematic but it still kind of ended up landing in that sketch comedy sort of world and like familiar sort of you know tropes of of online video whereas i think that you kind of stepping in a little bit later because you're much younger than us.
2: <laughs> much younger? How old are you?
0: I'm 33.
2: Oh, huh. you're not that much
0: older. I'm 26 26 fuck yeah. man wait when you're 33 you'll be like yeah 26 is much younger <laughs> yeah. and i'm like 10 years old, yeah. you? seven years that's
2: it's like you're a whole class of hogwarts yeah ex- of exactly
0: well
1: like you <laughs> i don't know. even get that reference that's how old i am <laughs> yeah. like when harry potter came out i was like, I know, like was a kid's
0: book
2: i was the right first year when you were in the job market
0: yeah exactly exactly the
1: wizarding world
0: so I went
2: to a Harry Potter convention this week. Yeah, you so it's did. On my mind.
0: Nice. So so Yulin, you had like aspirations early on to be like, "Oh, let's do something cinematic. Let's do something kind of more TV style."
2: I had those asp- aspirations because of you. Like, you were one of the first people I met when I moved here. I like stalked him on the internet. And that is true. sent him an email. We could probably find that email.
1: Wait, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: totally. It was one of those like awful, like can I pick your brain emails yeah, that yeah. people get. Which thank you for responding to that. Sure. And then we met on like Vermont, and I
1: yeah.
2: I, I picked his brain and I asked him about his thoughts about YouTube and all those things. Wait, was, so
1: how did you find him?
2: Because Squaresville. I was I was a big fan of what he did with Squaresville, and I thought he seemed like a cool dude. And then we had like one mutual friend
1: on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> so funny yeah um yeah. but
2: you were the one that told me to check out vidcon and you were the one that told me get on tumblr because your audience is probably on tumblr you're just full of so much wisdom man
0: sure so much well that's why i have a podcast now yeah just full of something
2: you guys are lucky <laughs> yeah.
0: well thank you but so my point though was that because you're approaching youtube from kind of it's both sides of the coin, right? Like you're doing stuff that's cinematic but also doing it on like a YouTube, a quote unquote YouTube schedule, right? So it's you, like Sawyer Hartman is doing that sort of stuff. There's a handful of like people out there that that DSLR generation basically mm-hmm. where, you know, with the right sort of taste levels and interest, you can kind of do that, but you're also aware of like you're competing with your vloggers of the world, right? Like there are people mm-hmm. out there who can just make content at such a high rate so how do you how did you come to think of that right like what was
2: i didn't think of myself as competing with all of youtube like one thing i realized fairly early on was that like chasing virality is a dumb thing that a lot of people get caught up on when they first start making their work and putting it online because that's like winning. It's like winning the lottery or getting to the front page of Reddit. That's it's, it would be nice if it happened, but there's no math or rhyme or reason to it. Mm-hmm. So what I figured out instead was that I can find the audience that will respond to my work. And, you know, I, I used to say like, oh, everybody should be on YouTube. Like every filmmaker should do it. Um, I don't think that that is true necessarily anymore. You do have to have a certain personality, mm-hmm. um, and have a certain sensibility. I think like the reason why my work seems to have done well there is because the audience is primarily female. Mm-hmm. It's I'm making a lot of stuff that's like coming of age and targeted towards my 17 year old self, and I know that my 17 year old self was not going to like film festivals. Mm-hmm. I was hanging out online and like watching YouTube videos and all these other things. So I started putting my work where that audience could find it. So I would say like think of who you're making your work for and kind of put it in the areas where those people will find it. So I was making, I think at the time it was like a literary inspired vlog. So I started posting it in Tumblr with tags that like people who were already fans of those things were tracking. And I was lucky because I was going after a niche audience that was also very active and engaged. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't know necessarily how to like, go after bigger audiences like like I'm a big fan of The Bachelor now <laughs> and I don't know how I would target that fandom per se but like literary inspired web series I was like got it yeah, you're on yeah. Tumblr
1: yeah so that audience is like poe heads
2: <laughs> <laughs> no there were uh, there were like people who were fans of the Lizzie Bennet diaries which really kind of I think changed the game in terms of scripted web series and this one specific audience because there were there were shows I was a fan of before that like high maintenance and other things that that were great but they didn't have those kind of really dedicated rabid fan bases that were willing to come back week after week and make gifts and headcanons and all that and i come from i come from fandom as well like it, i wrote fan fiction from when i was i think illegally when i was 11 and you had to be 13 to have an account but i just what? lied i know i was mostly on fanfiction.net and then i had some stuff on like a ron hermione site called checkmate Checkmated? I don't know. I don't remember. I also helped found my own site. I know this is super interesting, that's, guys, to talk about my fan fiction backgrounds. Yeah. UnknowableRoom.org. I unknowable a room. A
0: knowable room.
2: Oh, unknowable yeah. Room. I was a mod. NBD. Oh,
0: nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, yeah. so, uh, but what's interesting about it, though, is that, you know, I think oftentimes people talk about finding your fan base through that sort of targeted niche, right? Like from the very beginning, I think people who were finding success online started with a very specific like slice of life and Mm -hmm. then extrapolating from there right so so yeah so that makes complete sense
1: yeah i mean i think because you said like you can't like get virality you shouldn't chase it because you can't really find it but to me that's like that's my method it's like figure out we want to try to make a video that goes viral Mm -hmm. like i made in I don't know, a long time ago, 2006, 2007, these, like, Twilight spoofs. Right. And they did, like, so well that the entire company changed the whole methodology (laughs) to spoof, like, Harry Potter and Twilight and, you know, whatever young adult stuff was coming out at that time. Mm -hmm. And it totally worked. So right. I mean there are and like you look at a company like BuzzFeed, you know, like they know how to title a, an article oh, yeah. so that it gets There's spread.
2: definitely things you can do to chase the zeitgeist, I think that'll that'll increase your odds. And if you look at somebody like Casey Neistat, I think he's a YouTuber who's done a really good job of finding that, but even like if you listen to him, he's like I don't know what makes a viral video. I know elements that might help this, but even if you look at all of his videos all of which have like amazing like view count statistics there's still some that do phenomenally and others that are kind of lower and and it's hard to distill exactly what it was that distinguished them
0: and why it popped yeah i think
1: like where it goes bad is when someone says like oh harry potter's big let's see some harry potter stuff but the people making it are not harry potter fans yeah you know it's that like too. when you're trying when it you're not authentic or truthful yeah. is when people see right through that. Mm-hmm. But I think, I don't know, to me the best equation no, is- No posers. Yeah, it's <laughs> like when you're you really into it. something that's part of, you know, and mm-hmm. you make a video about it.
2: It's always, yeah, it's always like tell the most personal version of this because it's like every every story has already been told, but it hasn't been told by you yet. So mm-hmm. do you.
0: So let's talk a little bit, since we're on the topic of Harry Potter, <laughs> after you know, you kind of found some success with the Telltale vlog, at what point were you approached by New Form Digital?
2: So I had done a second series called Kissing in the Rain, right, uh, the right. one I shot with my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> and along with that, I had this kind of like Tumblr transmedia experiment because I wanted people to submit fanfiction, and if we reblogged it to the main Tumblr, it became canon, um, which means nothing if you... Don't know what that means <laughs> already. I'm not going to explain it. But anyway, Kathleen Grace, who is the head of New Form Digital, she was like one of the first Tumblr users or something like that. Sure,
0: yeah. It, yeah. All those New Form people, they all came from Next New Networks, which was in the same building as like ah, College Humor and yeah. Vimeo and uh, Tumblr. Makes sense. So it's like when I think of like New York, like early internet, I literally imagine them all like riding in the same elevator. Like
2: (laughs) I'm sure they did. Trading hoodies. They
0: all know each other. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so Kathleen found my stuff on Tumblr. And she called me in for a meeting and she asked me what else I had in development at the time. And so I had wanted to do a short about like vloggers for a while. And I was also kind of interested in the world of wizard rock, which is a musical movement about Harry Potter. And so she asked me to be a part of the first round incubators for new forms projects. And that's kind of how that happened. So in terms of like personal timeline, I graduated and did one year in the NBC Page Program. Then the first year after that was all self-funded work. Then the second year after that, that was when other people started giving me money, and then I would put my own money on top of that to make it better. So like Newform would be like, "Here's some cash," and then I'd be like, "Great, that's so awesome! I'm going to put five thousand of my own money into this to make it even better." Which is Wait, not can a you sustainable tell us model.
1: About the first time you got paid?
2: Paid like to direct like myself, where I could keep the money and I wasn't putting my own money into it. Well, well, I think
1: it's
0: okay to even like... Even if you put some money in. It's okay for you to plus it, yeah. Like Sawhorse wouldn't be around if they didn't. Yeah,
1: no, obviously you might lose things. But somebody is saying, hey, we want to give you money to direct, either produce, direct, do everything, you know, Mm -hmm. and give us the final product, or we just like how you make things. We want to hire you to direct with our crew.
2: Well, I think Newform would probably be the first case where it was like, a separate company giving me like they brought me in and they were like we like what you're doing here's a pile of cash give us something
1: right and you pitched them an idea
2: yeah and i pitched them well like it was it didn't feel like a pitch meeting honestly it was basically like a general where i came in and i was like this is all the stuff i'm thinking about and they were like we like that one do that so it was pretty informal, but that was the first time somebody gave me like a significant chunk of cash, and I took that money and added my own five thousand on top of that to a short, and that was that. It, that felt good. It felt like I could point it to my parents and say, like, "Hey, Ron Howard and Brian Grazer are giving us sure. money," and that has its own like uh, legitimacy right. in the eyes of parents. We did. We met them. I think in their offices once and like picked their brains for knowledge and stuff.
1: Oh, who, which meeting was better at that one or the one with Matt?
2: The one with Matt, I think. And I'm not even just saying that because it was a one-on-one thing. Whereas it was like everybody at Here, that round like, table. You
0: can meet these guys, but you have five minutes and we're going to videotape you and yeah. then get your yeah. reaction. Yeah. Right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, It, it, was it is like,
0: weird. I hired a photographer to come take pictures of us meeting together. Yeah. Though. Just just for publicity it's sake. It's yeah.
2: Up. You know, I cash. I
0: believe I just said videotape.
2: Videotape. Like a cellular, Sound like phone. a grandpa,
0: <laughs> <laughs> they snapped it right. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Um, but so 2014, that was the year New Forum offered me that, and then I also got a couple of like $100 per day freelance jobs as a director. And what the,
1: were those, or how did you get those?
2: I think there was this like friends of friends. Stuff like that. Two thousand fifteen was the first time that a company like hired me onto a project where it already had its own producer and all its own budget and they were just like, We want you to come and direct this and this is your like directing fee, which was still not that much money. I think it's like what, fifteen hundred a day for a two day shoot. It was fine. Oh, not bad. Yeah, it's yeah. not bad. Deal. Yeah. It's cool. And what my rate's what company was
1: that?
2: It was Hello Giggles and Taylor Loft.
1: Thanks. Oh. Mm-hmm. And and was branded content?
2: Yeah, it was branded content.
1: Cool. And what was, did, how did they find you?
2: A Facebook group. Facebook groups are actually really great for oh, networking these days. Somebody posted, like, hey, we're looking for a comedy director. Um, please send your samples. And so I sent them my samples. And I think it really helped that my work kind of stood out in that, like, I have a very specific, like, aesthetic, I guess I would say, because I found that was what was helping us stand out in the YouTube space. So, um, I had like period stuff and a lot of like colors and Wes anderson nonsense. So I think that helped us stand out and and they liked it. So they hired me.
1: And you cool. feel like that's your aesthetic for everything you do? Like for most things? Not for
2: so? everything. I, like, I, I was trying to move away from that actually a little bit. And the most recent thing I did, which was um, the I Ship It series, <laughs> different from the short film, uh, which we did for the CW Seed, just cause I didn't, I was starting to feel like a crutch, like. Mm-hmm. I didn't want like people's favorite things about my work to be things I had stolen from other people. I kind of wanted to like, find and develop my own style. So I was like, okay, I'm going to actively not do like colorful wallpapers and center framing and see what sticks. Like, I, that's not to say I won't ever do like heightened aesthetics again. I just kind of wanted to remove that one tool that has become kind of easy for me to fall back on.
1: Can you tell us what, the, what your aesthetic consists of? So what, my cool, aesthetic? Um, cool wallpaper. <laughs> cool framing.
2: wallpapers. I love cool wallpapers. So you would
1: go in wallpaper places or you would find places that have we cool wallpaper? We couldn't ever
2: afford wallpaper, actually. It's very expensive to buy it. So what we would do is buy fabric by the yard that looked like wallpapers, and then we would tape it up to the walls. And that was always kind of our way to make the backgrounds kind of interesting.
0: That's really great also because having done a little bit of wallpaper work, it's so hard. Like you mm-hmm. get air bubbles, mm-hmm. you're ruining walls. Yeah, no oh, fabric yeah. is Hang awesome. some fabric, put, that's it.
2: You put painter's tape on top of carpet tape.
0: Mm-hmm. No wait, oh. carpet
2: tape on top of painter tape and then you put that to the wall because the painter's tape removes very easily and the carpet tape is very oh. sticky, so pro tip.
0: Yeah, that's really good.
1: Wait, so when you say we did this, who are you talking about? My you production and designer
2: and I. No, I had, I had like a pretty full crew from the beginning cuz I like I, I couldn't do all of the jobs myself. So I had a DP and production designer that I worked with very consistently. And my DP was my editor and that was not good for our relationship romantically. <laughs> so I got a new editor. So I have like a DP, a production designer and an editor. And a composer that I work with a lot,
1: and you—they would always be paid no matter they if would you always were be paid. getting paid or not.
2: Yes, they were always paid. If I wasn't getting paid, it was like a hundred a day. Because, and I think it—it it made them very loyal to me, mm-hmm. um, because even though it wasn't a lot of money, I think they appreciated it. And once I started getting paid, I made sure that they were getting paid as well.
1: And with your production designer or like your producer, or anything were people ever like. Can you just shoot on this wall? Like, do we really need to go buy fabric?
2: I was always the producer in the beginning, so I was always very lenient on myself in terms of the budget, and that that came with its own problems. Because if any time there was like a creative issue where like my production designer would be like, "Well, we just need like three hundred more dollars," I'd be like. Fuck it. Let's have 300 more dollars. So I'd always end up like way over budget. But it's kind of worth it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's definitely worth it,
1: right? I think it's always worth it. But I feel like I'm always in these situations where I'm like, oh, that would be cool to get this wall to be blue or whatever. And then just you know when we're over budget and people start cutting things it's like those are the first things to go
2: and that was i think my real struggle once i started getting to a point where we had other people producing um where it was like oh i can't just be like just spend more money and throw it at that but i think that also forces you to be more creative and also be a like fucking professional <laughs> um yeah come in under budget and on time and yeah. so
1: okay sorry can we get i'm just really I'm curious about your aesthetic detail so oh, yeah. center framing
2: not always center framing i don't think that that's so much my aesthetic is something that we just like stole. I, I actually really like. I don't know that like close. I do two, three, five a lot, but I've been trying to get away from that. But colorful backgrounds for sure. I tend To have like very pretty actors.
0: It's like a it's a, a it's st- a little twee, right? Really? Yeah.
2: Um. Sometimes, yeah. I would say it's like twee has a negative connotation to it. I would call it whimsical. Not
1: when you're my age. <laughs> do you prefer um, <laughs> long lenses or wide lenses? Or
2: I like long lenses. Yeah. I don't play in that world as much. I tend to spend the most time in prep with my production designer and costume designer because I trust my DP to kind of find the look that I'm going for. Like usually I'll find a bunch of screen grabs and watch a bunch of clips and watch a bunch of movies with him and then he'll... Kind of say this is what I want to do and shoot it on this, and he shows me a couple of test things, and I'm like, great, cool, yeah, let's do that.
1: And do you have a lighting aesthetic?
2: I try to like find. There's this website called Mm FilmGrab.com that I love very much, and so every every day of shooting, well, not every day of shooting, but like in preparation for every day of shooting, I would find like the lighting references that we wanted for that specific location. So I wouldn't say there's something very specific I, I do like edison bulbs a lot um so yeah. i use that a lot
1: i wonder if the guy that makes film grab knows how many filmmakers i hope
0: so use I'm his sure, site surely. that dude like, he needs a it's like tip everyone. button yeah like yeah. everyone we know i, I want to talk a little bit about because i think this is something interesting i think young filmmakers oftentimes beat themselves up over like cribbing from directors and I think Wes Anderson it does happen pretty regularly That like mm-hmm. right because or like Tim Burton there's a handful of people whose I mean style I've, is so heightened and so obvious yeah. that mm-hmm. you as a young person are like okay like I want to be like them so like let me let me experiment you know right but like in the same way that like all great illustrators start by tracing you know you have to figure that out a oh, little yeah. bit and so you know I would say, look, maybe you can like, like in general, people can lay off like long lateral tracking moves and like center punched inserts a little bit, but otherwise, it's fine, guys. Wes Anderson didn't invent like
1: all inserts should be center punched, (laughs) 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 personally. But you know, like a top down, you know, like a Wes Anderson top down center. You know, I can't stand it. Like like someone adjusts a
0: pencil mid frame or whatever. You know, like yeah, like that stuff is very explicitly Wes. But I think like otherwise. It's fine. He yeah. didn't invent colorful palettes, right. Don't worry about it,
2: that's true. yeah. I think it's very much I think it's because, um who who was it? I think both my production designer and my editor, actually, they both had mentors who told them, like, oh, when you're a very when you're just starting out, it's very easy. To tell who's just starting out because they'll always go for the heightened thing because Mm -hmm, it belies a lack of confidence or something. And so I think it made us all like get in our own heads about it and we were like, oh God, we can't do that at all anymore. And what I'm realizing as I've been working more is like, no, yeah, it's it's steal what you want to steal because you have to like learn what fits for you and then eventually you kind of see what's following you across each thing, across every project and the things that stick are the ones that are yours.
0: Yeah, absolutely, well said. And I think also those people who were like, you know, saying that that maybe it lacked confidence, what are they doing now, right? Like you you developed- That was Ron Howard. It was Ron Howard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Ron Howard. No, but you know, I think like in the same way like your aesthetics stuck out. That's what got you work early on. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, I think there's a ton of different references that you can pull from. I would say I ship it owes as much to Edgar Wright as it does to Wes Anderson oh, yeah. in a fun, great way. You mm-hmm. know what I mean?
2: So Pete and I broke up. And it feels like my heart exploded across space and time into a million little pieces. I thought we were happy. One minute we were performing wizard rock duets on stage together, you were the Harry to my Jenny. The next, you found a new Jenny. People aren't going to understand. They're going to make fun of me, but I don't care. Peter Hackett, you broke me and I am going to ruin you. And we were pulling from so many different things too. Like, I think I'm struggling with answering your question about the aesthetics thing because I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty young and I'm still figuring out what is uniquely mine out of all these things.
1: Well, I've been doing it for like over 10 years and I'm in the same boat.
2: I can tell you what my sense of, like, I can tell you what types of stories I like much more easily than what aesthetics are mine. Like I, I would say I really like love stories. I like coming of age. I like things that are you know literary inspired sometimes. I love musicals. All of those things so are you're things
0: so I like. so stoked for La La Land.
2: I am so stoked for La La Land. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I feel like those are things that unite a direct like like here's directors that do good romantic comedies or whatever. Here's directors that do good action films. Or But it's like your aesthetic or how you use your tools is something that, you know, I mean, like Tarantino is like famous for like, right, just everything's like an homage to some filmmaker. But (laughs) it's so Tarantino when you see Mm -hmm. his work. And it's like, that's the trick of like, I don't know, I think that's what makes being a director that stands out hard is not because you like love stories. It's because you're shooting, you know, a high school love story, like a noir film, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I think you
2: that's, have to love movies, right? Like yeah, genre bending is always fun. Like the most recent project I did was a short film about like two best friends in a zombie apocalypse. So it was very like Clueless meets The Walking Dead. Like when in doubt, just take two genres and mash them up and call it original.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to get back to the process of taking a short, right? That was like mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the Ice Ship short was doing great online. You know, like finding its audience, finding its fan base in the same way that, you know, your previous stuff had. And it was like, you know, it's very Tumblr, right? Mm-hmm. And then how does C- the CW come on board? What's that pitch like? How do you take it from one thing into a full-on series?
2: So that was kind of an interesting thing because New Form, as far as I know, they sold all of their first round pilots without any of the creators in the room. So I have no idea what that conversation looked like or how many rounds they went and how formal of a pitch it was. I just got a call one day that was like, hey, the CW wants to buy I Ship it and do a series. Can you do a pitch deck for us? So I, I created kind of like a little PowerPoint slide that had inspiration images and a roughly outlined like 10 potential episodes None of which really ended up being the actual thing, but kind of got across the tone of it. And then maybe like two months after that, we got another call that was like, we're doing it. Here's a contract.
0: So you, you never pitched in the room or anything? I never
2: like? pitched in the room, no.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Fucking awesome.
2: Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I feel like I snuck in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, well done. Well, I mean, you have to make a good short in order for that to happen, but <laughs> we'll kill her. And so did you write the whole series?
2: I did not. no. Um, so they picked up the series and then immediately they were like, you should probably get like some writing staff. So I had two staff writers, Rachel Kylie and uh, Julia Prescott. And they were both great. They wrote, I think they both wrote three episodes, and I wrote four.
0: And when you put together this room, where you was it a like sort of traditional style TV room where you're all breaking story together, and then no, separating I, and then pitching punching at, up? Or at no? that
2: point, actually, I had already broken the entire story, so I, I guess I, I skipped a step. Where so the CW had bought the show, but we had the kind of like season outline. So I pitched that over the phone, and they like greenlit my season outline. And so once we brought the writers in at that point, like we pretty much knew what was happening in every episode, down to the beats, and they were writing it out, and they did a great job. And there were definitely points where, like I remember, at one point Rachel brought something to me and was like, "This is not probably what you're trying to say. Like we should probably change this." So, so there was, you know, a back and forth there.
0: Mm-hmm, but it wasn't like everyone.
2: Yeah, know. we weren't. We weren't all breaking story
0: fun interesting so but did you get together to punch it up at the end together or no because I guess it's not super joke oriented so it's no not kind of I did same. revisions
2: on all the scripts because we were writing the scripts I think in I want to say okay I did I did the season outline in August I think we were writing the scripts from September to October and then November. I think was when we started casting cause we didn't know who was going to be in it. And then once we had the cast, that was when I did revisions based off of like hearing their voices. Like something I like to do once I've got my cast is like, I get my two leads like blackout drunk and ask them a bunch of personal questions and, learn their voices and kind of learn what they look like when they're embarrassed and what they look like when they're like happy and all those things because it makes me a better director for them specifically. But it also makes me hear their voice because as a writer I can just tackle the entire script through that lens so I, I did a round of revisions after the writers had turned in. I think we did three revisions with the writers, and then I did the other revisions after that.
0: We're here to take you on a musical adventure. A what? Hey, Tim, let's start
2: a band. Um. You play five instruments? You're in. The internship. No, the band. I'm ready to rock. We're like indie pop
1: rock. No interband dating never works out and no one wants to be a cliche you want to make out okay sure let's go i mean i'm curious you sound like so confident about every decision you made but was there ever a moment where you're like super stressed out and like stressed worried out when someone's like thing. hey put together a writer's room and you're like what does that mean like is yeah, yeah. there that moment of like you have your own show here's whatever a bunch of money to go make it here's people your know, staff and all this stuff was it just like you had to do it so quickly that you didn't have time to worry about it?
2: It was a little bit of that. It was like the adrenaline of like, get this done now. But also, yeah, I was nervous about things. Like I had pitched a storyline with like a same-sex couple, and I so far have told very heterosexual <laughs> narratives because that is the lens through I see the world. So I I knew I wanted to have like a gay writer on my staff to kind of make sure that everything was like okay and not like horribly offensive. And so that that was something that I think gave me pause where I was like, I, I need to find somebody specifically who right. will be good at this and good at talking to me about these things. So that was where Rachel Kiley came in.
1: Yeah. It seems I don't know. I feel like I would be stressed out if someone was like, hey, you gotta, you know, basically create this whole show. You got like five weeks, go hire some people and <laughs> I don't know. But and then were you always the director from day one? Like did New Form ever say like do you want to direct, or should we bring someone else in?
2: I think I was always the director from day one. I think no, that there may have been like one point when it was like, "Oh, we're not sure if you're going to end up directing it," but then they never really like. <laughs> had we that conversation. So it. I was just like, so I'm directing it, right? And yeah. they were like, yeah, sure. Yeah. There's no time to get anybody else now. So yeah.
0: call action. Cool. That's
1: wow. So what have you done since then? You guys finished shooting that a while ago, right? We Earlier finished shooting that
2: in December and then in the oh, series. Last year. Yeah. And the series came out in June through oh. August.
1: Yeah. So that was one of their first shows. New yeah. When did th- you shoot your show? I shot. This year or last year?
0: It was last year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was like probably right before
2: Shitty Boyfriends definitely came out. I think while we were in deep mm, prep, in because prep, I remember yeah. watching your yeah, show yeah. when I was like super stressed about our own. And I was like, how did they do it? How many locations do they <laughs> have? Right, yeah, What's before. his? I, I think I texted you, like, you what was your budget person. per episode? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I.
0: Which it isn't ever super helpful. No, it's not helpful. <laughs> I have like zero I, idea what
1: our budget per episode was. Because you had, was there a line producer? That yeah. Played? yeah we
2: did yeah because
1: it's yeah
0: because one episode costs 10 times as much as the next episode yeah but even like you know my show was not a musical you know what i mean like my my (laughs) show was just like yeah uh, like people talking about their feelings and making jokes Mm -hmm. for uh, you know eight to 11 minutes yeah and locations were really simple and stuff but Matt shot his whole show in 10 days it was in 10 days yeah
2: I think ours was an 11. Oh, man, really? yeah, That's too yeah. fast. It was way that's too not fast. Enough time. I was so stressed. Yeah. Like, I think originally we had like 12 pages on the call sheet and then I was like, no, like yeah. cut to me just like in a bathroom with my AD. Like, <laughs> what are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. He was like an ex Marine. And I remember he was like, this is so much more stressful.
0: <laughs> so yeah. funny. Well, I don't know if I should bring this up. I feel like it's a funny story. That's Bring embarrassing. Come on. So I, I'm sure, of course you remember about a I guess it was a year ago now. So I, you were at my pumpkin carving party. I was. And you were in prep, and I knew no your producer super well, your casting director, I like like knew your entire prep team basically yeah. super well. So you're you're at this party <laughs> and like I'm I've just finished up sh- shitty boyfriends. I'm like blowing off more steam than I should. Had one too many beers, maybe two too many beers. <laughs> And I'm like, you go over budget.
2: <laughs> I do remember this.
0: And you're like, huh? And I'm like, trust me, go over budget. It doesn't matter. It's not your money. <laughs> go That's over That's a budget. really
2: tall dude, too. So just giving it to you from my perspective, I was like, you're I'm like, 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 I'm what? like a 5'4 person. And how tall are you?
0: I'm six foot. He's yeah, I'm six, six foot.
2: So like he pulled me aside after I'd carved my pumpkin. Yeah. And he was like, you go over budget (laughs) go over budget it was was like like, yeah I will it
0: was like (laughs) like 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 way too much and I got no it
2: wasn't it wasn't it was good advice it was in terms of like pushing the budget to your limit I think that was good advice because
0: my point was just like push back it came out wrong and like I remember (laughs) the (laughs) the next day I got texts from like three or four different producers that are like what the fuck are you telling you (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah I'm like I'm like good buddies with all it's like it was like Kate Grady, uh <laughs> Heidi Montague, uh, who was your casting director. Yes, great and uh, and Tiffany Gray, and they're just like and Kate Kate, who's was in charge of the budget. Mm-hmm. Right. Was like, Why are you telling people to just
1: spend <laughs> money <own?" laughs> That's great. That really so funny. did you?
2: Did I go over budget? Yeah. You know, that here's the thing is I don't know how much we did go over a budget because I know there was a number that we started with that they told me. And then at every point that I would ask them, like, what's our budget? It would kind of go up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so maybe it did or maybe they were withholding information from me from the beginning. but i I'm like at a point where I'm like, you know what that's that's probably a good thing. I don't need to know the budget. I just,
0: yeah, you don't need to know your yeah. final number. I think what I was really trying to say was like, you know think through how to diplomatically ask for more when you need it yes right that's the smarter way of of phrasing it and also knowing that they're asking you to do a certain thing they have money they have margins that they have there's a Mm -hmm. little bit of flexibility there and i think that as like good kids Mm -hmm. when they say like this is how much money you have then we're like okay well that's how much money i have and like sometimes it's important to push back because the job of the director is to protect the artistic vision of the product and i think
2: the way i interpreted your advice during production at least was there were points where i was asked to make concessions like hey you can't have a school bus for this scene so cut that so i'd be like okay sure i'll cut that In exchange, because I've saved you some money, I would like more extras on this day. So every time I made a concession, I already had like the response Mm -hmm. in my head of like what I would like in exchange. Yeah. So
0: that horse trading is valuable for sure. Yeah. Extras. It's
1: the biggest one for me. (laughs) It's like we're having a party scene. Cool. We got 10 extras. Like, no, dude, that's not a party. Yeah. Or make it a lame party.
0: Yeah. You know, like it's okay no, to throw Who a lame wants party. to see a lame party scene? I think a lame party scene is better than like, like yeah, a Yeah, it a, be upbanger, a you know? good
2: comically lame, yeah. like, I don't know if you guys have watched Haters Back Off, the no. Miranda Sings Netflix yeah. special. I really loved it, actually. Oh, good. Yeah, but they've got a good lame party scene.
1: Okay, well, I feel like we always have this in every interview where I'm like, I feel like we just like yeah, got the tip, tip of the, of the iceberg, iceberg, but we're already running out of time So I'm I'm trying to ask every person we interviewed this question, which is if you had to give one piece of advice to someone, they just graduated film school, let's say not in California, they moved to LA, they want to be a director, what's a tip or something that you could tell them to do to chase that?
2: I always say don't be your own gatekeeper because this industry is very hard to break into. And so when I was first starting out, it was very easy for me to like just think, oh, it's so impossible because of all these things like, oh, I'm a woman, I'm a person of color, I don't have money, all these other things. And it's like, yeah, those things are all true. (laughs) Um, But if you dwell on them more than the time you spend kind of like pursuing the thing, then you're not really doing yourself a favor. Because it's going to be hard for you, because it's hard for everybody. And there may be some things that are specifically more difficult for you because it it is kind of like a privileged job that we have. And like, try to find your own unfair advantage as much as you can. Like, everybody has one. But as much as possible, I would say try not to dwell on the reasons why it's hard and why it's difficult and instead kind of find ways to tackle the thing and like go after it.
0: What's your unfair advantage?
2: Um, I think I was really, <laughs> I was really willing to ask my parents for money. Like, and I also had parents who could give me money. Like, there was definitely a period of time where I would ask them for rent money and then take that rent money and make a movie and then ask for rent money again for my actual rent.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so Your like, parents have very bad memories. That's yeah, unfair exactly. Advantage.
2: They're they're both scientists, <laughs> um, so they they were very willing to help me out there, and I kind of prided or. I I valued being able to make movies more than I valued like having the pride to say like oh I'm I'm like independently paying my rent or whatever like and I also right. didn't go out. you were willing to out. ask for help. Yeah, I was willing to ask for help, and I was also willing to like not go out to bars a lot. Well, that was easy for me because I'm I'm an introvert. <laughs>
1: right, well, right. I think I mean just the you reaching out to Matt is like something that is so awesome, you know, and it's something. I always had problems with that where like my mom would be like, oh, I know this guy. He like runs this production company. You should reach out to him. And I'd look him up and it's like he ran what's Tarantino's old company? A Band Apart. Yeah. And I was like, I I mean, this guy works with with Quentin Tarantino. I'm nobody. I'm not going to contact him. Like, you know, and I was just so I was already telling myself I wasn't good enough to talk to these people. Yeah. And you came to L.A. and you're like, hey, I like this show. I'm going to talk to the guy that made this show. I'm going (laughs) to email everyone.
2: Trying to find the actual email <laughs> that you sent Matt. Oh yeah, can we can, post it on our show yeah, notes? Yeah, I can like send you a screenshot of a it. Great or something. example
1: of like how to reach out to someone and <laughs> get a response. I do not know that it was
2: great. I don't think he responded the first time. I think oh, I, there really? was like a follow up or something. Oh,
0: that's pretty. But good. That's, that's I mean better. that's
1: part of the whole thing. To me, there's like always like when you move to LA to become to work in Hollywood, like people will tell you crazy things like, "Oh, only like one percent of people make it," you know. And so for me, it's always like, okay, well, why can't I be part of that 1%, you know?
2: So like May 4th, 2013, All right. collaboration proposal. Hi, Matt, I'm an LA-based filmmaker, and I recently discovered your web series, Squaresville, which is pretty much the greatest thing I wish I'd had back in high school. I'm already too thirsty in this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you did not respond to that one, which was fine. <laughs> um, and then, did I email you twice? No. <laughs> um, then the second one was June 6th. I didn't send this. This was subject line director introduction from uh, mutual friend John Condreth. Matt, meet you lean. <laughs> she is a director. And then that time I followed up with that. Thanks so much for the introduction. Hi, Matt. Pleasure to email meet you pretending i hadn't already like
0: <laughs> that's sent really,
2: you a fan mail
1: that's really good though because wait can we hear the rest of the emails yeah. i feel like this is like the juice that everyone all of our listeners want to know what do you I say i can't to tell
2: matt? if you're sarcastic or no, not no no not.
1: This, this is the
0: show it's in the weeds for sure yeah, yeah you want it yeah um
2: okay so june 6th i say hi matt pleasure to email meet you firstly i wanted to say that squaresville is amazing and i so admire the work you've done with it and i think i copy-pasted the same thing that I said in the first email. Perfect. It reminds me of all the best parts of the coming-of-age genre and teen shows on the WB and It's heyday. Day. As I told John, I'm trying to meet with more working directors out here and pick their brains about their paths to the work they've been doing. I'm currently an NBC page and will be competing my year with the program soon, so I'm a bit I'm on a bit of a quest to figure out a life plan that goes beyond August. I was so pretentious. Um, I'm looking into getting into more freelance production type jobs since I've found more and more that corporate office life isn't so much for me. And then I send you links to my work. And then I ask if you have time to meet and have a quick chat. Um, this is a really great example of what not to do in an email. No, why? I no, honestly no, no. feel like, I think, I, what's I,
1: wrong with that? Email? It is so
2: long. Like the emails that I respond to that I get are yeah, like yeah. three lines. Yeah, so, yeah. my advice to like 2013, Eileen, is to like cut all that shit about like reminds me of this. No, like, but this you drop, story.
1: you say like, hey, I like your work. Be- right. and, and specifically, and why. why? Yeah, yeah. Not mm-hmm. just like, oh, we know I think someone it's in good. common, so I'm not going to kill you. Yeah. And I'm working for NBC right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: But I'm trying to do something less corporate.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think you're exactly right. The page program also, I'm sure, was a thing for me where it's like, okay, to be an NBC page, you have to be like smart and driven and like ambitious, right? So that makes sense. I think also... Obviously, the mutual contact.
2: The mutual contact definitely helps yeah. because then, one, I'm not just beholden to you. Then it's also like, oh, I really like that person. I don't want them to think I'm a dick. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: yeah like, exactly. And I owed John, I still owe John, I don't know how oh, many yeah, favors. He's, great. he's incredible. He's the best dude. So like I
2: had just rented equipment from him, which is how I, okay. I met him. Yeah, through,
0: through Strangel or through, through
2: Strangel. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Or no, Recon. No, recon.
0: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Recon. Like John um, produced season one of Squaresville. Like all of our insurance, everything ran through Recon.
2: Mm-hmm. He's great.
0: Yeah, he's the best.
2: And then you responded to me seven days later
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: with
2: one line: "Hi Eileen, let's sit down for coffee sometime soon. I have evenings pretty free this month, Matt." See that's that's an example of like short emails. They're good.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. It's really, really interesting to me that you emailed twice. That, that, I think, yeah. I well, think you didn't a, know that until now. I did not know that yeah. thank God. I, well, I think,
2: <laughs> I've known this entire time that that's, I sent you two emails. That's
0: so funny. But like I don't get that many emails. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm like a super important person. And I think that there's like anxiety that people have of like, oh, if I send them an email, and I sound stupid. They're going to think that I'm the stupid idiot forever. Right. And I'm and annoying. And I'm annoying and I'm just going to fuck everything up. Like, I probably that's my got Minor
2: monologue every day. Every
0: day. And that's, <laughs> that's, I think that's everybody's, right? And like, this is a perfect example of like, yeah, you, you are the only you lean I know, right? Mm-hmm. And I did not know that you emailed me twice. Yeah.
2: Are you just saying that to be no. kind right now? <laughs> I
0: swear. No, I would be like, well, you know, I, liked, I appreciated the persistence. I, like, I, yeah. g- I genuinely had no idea. Um, so I think that's a really great lesson for people, for sure. Yeah, try it chutzpah. Yeah. chutzpah. there you go. Cool, well,
1: awesome. So I feel like you dropped a lot of very applicable knowledge for us, so thank you. <laughs> I hope you.
2: so. I hope this has been helpful, guys.
1: So we don't have time for a listener question from James McCannon which is about how to get a job as a PA when you first moved to L.A. And so we are going to answer it next episode. So Ooh, is sorry, that, is James. that a teaser? <laughs> sorry, mm-hmm. James, for listening to this whole episode. But I, I know that you got some really good information out of it. And we're going to answer your question next week. And now we're going to move on to some unpaid endorsements.
0: Unpaid endorsements.
1: So my endorsement this week, it's not really a product or anything. It's just a thing that... I feel like is always shortchanged when you're shooting and that's establishing shots. I feel like so many people, especially newer filmmakers, like don't get them. And when you're writing scripts, you're like, okay, exterior car driving, interior apartment, interior store, interior later that night. But when you're editing your stuff, unless you have like a really perfect transition or the dialogue from one scene just flows perfectly into the next scene, you know, and you end up editing it exactly the way you wrote it and shot it, then you're okay, but If not, those establishing shots really like save your ass so many times. And I just did this shoot, you know, that I talked about in our intro and I wanted to get some establishing shots and we we had no time to do anything. And I was like, this is just so much more important than you guys like understand, because like we just had this big climactic moment and we need like a a letdown moment. And all we've shot is like a guy talking as soon as I said action. And so I just want to see his house from the outside for a second or like the sun setting or I mean. You know, we'll know it's his house because we've already seen it from the outside. Like, it's just going to make us feel good. So my thing is just shoot establishing shots. You know, they can really make like a huge, huge, huge difference when you're pacing out your edit. I know most of you know that. But like when I get a script a lot of times and I to break it down for storyboards, a lot of times like I'll renumber it, you know, and the ADs always get mad at me. But I'll add like establishing shots in between scenes sometimes. Car pulls up to the house, you know, and then we cut to the house. Right. Because those like as an editor, I know that those are what
0: are gonna save me and the edit and gonna make things feel good. So. I also love a good pre-lap, right? Oh, so yeah. like you've got your establishing shot, but then like you're already throwing a joke in there early on before like of the characters. Are so you know, helpful. Yeah, it's yeah. the best. Yeah, yeah, really nice
1: emotional shot in the sunset and then Matt's mm-hmm. fart joke. Fart joke. <laughs> <laughs> Pre lap And it. you
2: can do those all in a pickup day too. Yeah. Because like, yeah. we didn't shoot any establishing shots and I ship it because we didn't have any time. And then as soon as we got to the edit, mm-hmm. the first notes that came in were like, get establishing shots, please.
1: Yeah. All and producers you. will always tell you, like, oh, you just get stock footage, you know? Here's yeah. a shot yeah, of you're a wrong. city. And it's like, like yeah, they also shot on
0: different camera, different frame it's, rate, different yeah, color, different edits. It does not work. Yeah. It's ex- like your DP owns their camera, probably, like, odds are in this day and age. Like, just go like, run around with them it's not like you were lighting those shots right, right? it was it's not no, like you have a team that's like big enough to like go ahead and like
2: running around with, bottom know. lunch for the day
0: well yeah. with us we definitely
1: like because they're really important to me i try to schedule them when at the time like i i want everyone the ad and the producer and the dp mm-hmm. to know what time we're going to shoot them so that the sky
0: looks right you know? yeah oh yeah That's Um, also something you can maybe throw to, like, an ambitious gaffer. Yeah, like, if you can get a little bit of, like, peeling off from a second unit, that's the way to do it for sure. Yeah. So my unpaid endorsement is a thermos that I love called the Zojirushi Stainless Steel Mug. You can get them on Amazon. They're Japanese. They lock, and they will keep your shit warm or cold for like 12 hours but is it
1: like too warm like you know i got one at coffee bean where i'd put coffee in it and like two hours later it was
0: still too hot to drink yeah yeah like if you if your coffee is too hot like when you pour it in there it's gonna retain that heat for sure like i took it into like sub-zero temperatures and like was amazed by how warm my coffee was oh when you went to antarctica antarctica no uh winthrop washington but the other thing about having a to-go thermos of some sort is that it's important for me and I assume probably a lot of people to just drink your coffee before you get to set if you like land touchdown your team's already ready up and running we're looking to get a shot off relatively soon and you've got to be like hey ADDP actors how are you guys all doing I need like a minute to get a coffee and also 20 minutes before I'm actually awake. Mm-hmm. That's really cutting into your day. So if you're drinking that coffee out of an incredible Japanese thermos <laughs> on your drive to set, life is good when you touch My it. My problem is that I would leave it on set pretty
1: much every single time. I have gone through a couple. Yeah,
0: <laughs> And they're worth, it's still worth it.
1: For me, it's like if this is the first time I'm working with this production team, I just cannot trust that they will have coffee, I'm half and half when I get to set. And so <laughs> if I'm going to be 15 minutes late to my own shoot because i am stopped at Starbucks, so be it. Like I know it's going to be better
0: for the entire day, which yeah. I should leave early. But every once in kind of a while I work with people who don't care about coffee. Yeah. And that's just bonkers to me are you a coffee drinker
2: um i used to be a coffee drinker and then i realized on sets that the like milk in my coffee makes my stomach ache and after a while it just throws off my entire day so i switched over to tea and i always drink tea when i'm on productions
0: there you go yeah cool Cool. do you have an endorsement for ceiling
2: yeah like so there's this thing called bullet journaling that i find very interesting i'm not a bullet journaler basically as somebody is making a racket off of the concept of an empty notebook that is essentially a planner but you have to draw in all the dates yourself and they called it a bullet journal and it's somehow become a craze but i do like stocking the tags on tumblr because i it's like organization porn Mm -hmm. you need to see how other people organize their thoughts and it doesn't work for me because i need to be able to like flip ahead and plan a production like six months in advance but it is it is really fascinating, and just as far as organizational systems go, I'm like very curious, like what you guys have as your because I have a three notebook organization system.
0: Oh, interesting. So I've
2: got I've got my planner, which it has like a weekly spread where I can like write in these are the dates of production, blah blah blah, and then I've got a blank moleskin like unlined moleskin notebook for just like jotting down ideas and then i recently added a third one which is also moleskin but they they have like a productivity to do mm-hmm. notebook one where it's like list oriented and so i like to think of things in terms of lists so i i keep that one as a way to like organize anything i need to like deep dive into mm-hmm. so it's that's my like three notebook system
1: this is for filmmaking. It's not for your whole life.
2: It's for my whole, whole my whole life is filmmaking, Oren.
1: <laughs> but so, do you plan yeah. your non-production weeks like this also?
2: Yeah. Well, because they 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 have to they affect each other, right? Like I can't do a doctor's appointment on the day I'm shooting, so well, they're right, all in one calendar. right. But what are you
1: doing? Like, are you shooting next week? No. So do you have a calendar for next week? Like, that's all. Yeah, that's fine. You have you have three notebooks. Well, I'm like for next writing.
2: Week. I'm like writing next week, so. I, I have like my. This is my writing date, and then this mm. is my whatever dates.
0: Yeah, I, I actually I have a similar situation where I have a unruled notebook that's a little bit wow. bigger than a Moleskin. That's like Some real hippy dippy stuff. Real hippy dippy <laughs> stuff. This one even has like creative like prompts here and there, oh, like just nice. sprinkled throughout. It'll be like, what if you thought of something this way? Yeah. You know, like if the problem you're trying to solve is this, what if you did flip the genders? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so shit like that but it's unruled which i think is is really great and is like mostly like free association and stuff like yeah, that yeah that's helpful and then i've got one that's kind of like your business like notes for meetings and things like that and then i use things for my to-do list tracking which is a app that syncs across your phone and computer and Ooh. lets you subdivide by project basically so it's not it's not like like omnifocus or one of those like hardcore mm-hmm. productivity trackers this one is just like a bunch of different lists but that it syncs between my computer and phone cleanly that's is nice. the most important thing for me. Whereas I think like your Gmail to do lists, I've never been able. I've to never like, been
2: able to use Google yeah, Calendar. Yeah. But for each project, I have a separate Scrivener file where mm. on the left I can see all the project notes at every stage, which is very helpful. Yeah, that's how I use Scrivener. Anyway. Scrivener
1: is like pretty hardcore. Yeah, yeah it's beyond me. I'm fully not organized in any way in my life. I have a Google Calendar. And a Gmail account. And that's pretty much like for production. I mean, I always do the same thing. I get the script, I print it out, I write what I think as I'm reading it, and I draw little like thumb scratch storyboards. And I'm like, oh, it would be so cool if like the bookshelf that they built in this scene fell apart in this scene. I should do thumb storyboards on this Um, one. That's a great idea. And like no one can understand them except for me. And then I'll email the production designer, like, hey, do you think we can get like an IKEA bookshelf that can break in the shot or something and like just pull it with a string or something? And then I'll just keep going. And then I'll write notes and everything and then I'll try to draw those storyboards on. Like I just get a template of storyboards and just you know, sketch them out and then I'll make a shot list based on that storyboard. Then when I get the set, I just don't look at I anything. Look at at all. And we just shoot, you know. And so to me it's like and I don't think this is a good way to do it at all. But as soon as I have an idea, if it's art related, I'll email the production designer. If it's camera related, I'll email the DP performance related or something, I'll email the actor and wardrobe related, I'll email the wardrobe person. And I feel bad, and I try to not like send them like ten emails at like three a.m. But that's pretty much what I do. And if if I know there's gonna be a lot of things, then I'll just like keep a draft of an email to them in Gmail until I'm done. Feel good about the script. Or sometimes I'll need to get budgetary things approved or ask people like if they what they think of these ideas. But in general, it's just Gmail and Google Calendar is like everything I use. Yeah, man. So, Google Calendar. Like, that's it. Yeah, I can't bring anything on set because I lose. I've never brought a hoodie home. I've never brought like a coffee mug home. I just like lose everything. You lose a hoodie. Yeah, well, because it gets hot halfway oh. through every shoot. Yeah, that's true. And then I put it on a chair somewhere.
2: That's how I like. I get all my pages printed as like mini quarter pages because I don't mm-hmm. like having the entire full page. Right. I like being you able want it to, to put it in
0: your pocket. I'm, the, I'm yeah, exactly. Opposite. I want the big one. I bring a, a clipboard with me, and if oh I lose the clipboard at the end of the I day, it's lose Yeah. And I write my name on top of every piece of paper so that, I do like, that too. if people are like, "Oh," I used I, to use a red binder so that when. <laughs> I'm like, where's my binder? The sound guy can be like, it's the red one, right? And like, be like but
2: the binder's so heavy. Yeah, like, yeah. that's why I like the tiny little minis. Yeah. Little mini, just like, Joop. it's it yeah. doesn't make sound during the take. <laughs> Ooh, that's, it. Good. that's good. Why. That's why. I good. think
1: sides like the quarter or half page it seems right to me. I can fold them in half in my pocket. Yeah. And I need like three copies of them because I'm gonna lose them. Yeah, I'm
2: definitely yeah, gonna yeah. lose and them. And I'm
1: always like giving them to actors, like, oh, just let's change this line, like, right. write it, and I'll like, just give it away. Yeah. So. And be filled yeah. with regret. Okay, cool. Well, so what can we watch of yours right now?
2: You can watch I Ship It, the series on the CWC.com. Just want to stream me for that. And Hey, that's
1: right. Oh, hey. really? What was the but stream yeah, for?
2: Congratulations. Uh, best series, I think. Yeah. It was best drama series.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. That's awesome.
2: It was cool. So please watch that. Yeah. Show it some love. My YouTube channel is Euline is working on YouTube. And there's a bunch of like my short films there. And then also Euline
1: is y U L I N.
2: Yes, correct. Is I thing. is pronounced like E. That's like a Chinese thing. My parents oh. tried to give me other names that were English names and I did not respond to them. I was almost Roxanne Kwang. I was also almost well, I wanted to do Brigida, but they wouldn't let me. It was from the sound of music. <laughs> Elaine, that's that's what it was. Elaine, I was on Elaine for a very long time, but I didn't respond to it.
0: I guess you lean Elaine. You kind of see, like that's kind of just like rearranging. Yeah. Well, it
2: bit. was because we were watching Seinfeld to learn English at the time. Oh, and what so. a great way to <laughs> yeah. learn English! Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Pop yeah. culture is very helpful to the immigrants. Yeah, yes.
0: and, uh, the robot from Short Circuit. One of my best friends learned English from American Gladiators, ah. oh, yeah. which is a really funny <laughs> way <word. laughs> Yeah, because they don't talk that much. On the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he just like he learned the words "nitro" and "storm" very quickly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the name of Gladiators, guys. He just yeah, no, <laughs> I, I'm familiar right. with the show. All right, We're just making sure. All right, uh, great. And um, you tweet as well, right? You I know?
2: do tweet. I am at Eileen Kwong on Twitter.
0: And what's your website?
2: My website.